you would this morning turn with me to the 107th Psalm, Psalm 107. The psalmist writes, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he had broken the gates of brass, and cut the barns of iron, bars of iron in sunder. Verse 17, he says, Fools, because of their transgression, and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word, and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his workings with rejoicing. Then in verse 23, it says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Here in this psalm, four times, we find God's people in great trouble. Four times they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. And then the command is given, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You'll find that there's four situations that God delivered his people from. In verses 4 through 7, he delivered the lost. In verses 10 through 16, he let free the captives who were guilty of denying his word. 
In verses 17 through 22, he healed those who were sick. And in verses 23 through 31, he delivered those who were storm-tossed. Some of us, in our experience, have at least found ourselves in one of these categories, if not every single one of them. There's certainly been times in our lives that we have felt utterly lost and without help and guidance. And there's been times that I have felt captive to my sins and the guilt and the weight of things that I have done wrong. Certainly been sick in soul and at times sick in body. And of course, we know those who are greatly sick and afflicted. And there's been many storms that we've all encountered. It could be a literal storm like we've just experienced and been delivered from. Or it could be the storms of our heart and the storms of our soul when great distress comes into our lives. But every single time, whatever the category of the problems that we face, we find that the child of God cries to the Lord, and the Lord always hears. And thankfully, we see that every time, whether we're lost, whether we're guilty and captive, whether we're sick or storm-tossed in the world, God hears our cries, and he delivers us from our distresses. He leads us by the right way, and then our responsibility is to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It says in the verse that opens, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I realize there may be some this morning that have a very difficult time to give thanks to the Lord and may not be able to see how his mercy still endures. And even if we had found ourselves in far worse situation than what we did, I still believe we should say that his mercy endureth forever. Mercy just simply means not receiving what we deserve. There is so many horrible things that we deserve at the hand of God for uh, failing to comply with his law, for sinning against his name and bringing offense against him. There's so many things that we deserve that we never experience and never see because the Lord's mercy endureth forever. Thank God for the mercy of God, that he is merciful and plenteous in mercy as David would say in Psalm 130. I love that phrase, that the Lord is plenteous in mercy. He's not just merciful, but he has plenty of mercy. He's never going to be depleted of it. It's not something you have to worry. Well, I've gone to the well of God's mercy one too many times, and there's just not going to be any left for me this time. No, because he's plenteous in mercy. And the word merciful itself just means full of mercy, that as long as there's a God in heaven... There will be a well of mercy for the people of God uh, to go to. And thank God that we can say no matter what the circumstances of our, our life, whether we're lost in the wilderness, whether it is we're captive because of the guilt of disobeying the commandments of God, whether we find ourselves sick in body or mind, or whether we find ourselves storm-tossed in this world, we can still know and trust that God's mercy endureth forever. So again, so don't give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. He again says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I love Psalm 103, verse 1, where David writes and says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, 
who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindnesses, and notice, and tender mercies. That's the God that we serve. So here David tells us, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And certainly as we assemble in his house this morning, we ought to be a people that are coming together to bless the name of God, to give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 2, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He's just letting us know there that you and I have been ransomed by God. The word redeemed there literally means the ransom price is paid. And if you know the law of ransoming, you understand that from Leviticus chapter 25, that if you and I need to be purchased out of some situation or out of bondage to another man or out of bondage to sin and Satan and hell, it's going to take a near kinsman uh, to pay the price of our redemption. Uh, there's no one that can do it except a relative that be very near to us. And he's got to have the payment price. Uh, the Bible lets us know through the pen of David that there are wealthy men who find their family members uh, who are in the depths of, of sin. And he says the redemption of their soul is precious. And even though their brother may have great wealth, they don't have the money wherewith to buy uh, a person out of sin. The debt that you and I owed to God due to the guilt of our sin and due to being lost by the activity of our lives. There was no way that we could ever redeem ourselves out of that situation. As much as I love you, there was no way and no way, uh, no price that I could pay to redeem you or to ransom you out of the hand of the enemy. But thank God we have a near kinsman, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our dear relative, our elder brother, who's very close to us, who not only uh, was willing, but also had the ability. I think this, that if I found you in a, in a bad way, I would hopefully be willing to do it, even though I may not be able. But in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is he uh, willing to redeem us from our situation, he's also got the ability uh, to do so as well. So he says again, let the redeemed this has already happened. We've already been ransomed. The price has already been paid. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 lets us know exactly how it was done. He says, we were not redeemed with silver and gold uh, and things, uh, our traditions received from our fathers. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, who as a, a lamb without spot, who was ordained before the world began so that you and I might be redeemed by his life and through his death and only through his resurrection and ascension to sit down at the right hand of the, uh, the throne of God on high. So again, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> Don't be afraid, in other words, to praise the Lord and to let folks know that you've received the ransom of your soul by the hand and power and mercy of God. Again, he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord uh, for his mercy is endureth forever. He is good. And here's how you and I know he's good. He's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, he says, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You and I had an enemy that is a fierce foe. You and I, first of all, we're facing the enemy of sin. We were facing the enemy of death. We were facing the enemy of hell. And had not the Lord Jesus Christ intervened, we were facing the enemy of the wrath of God, which would have plunged us forever into the hands of Satan. And that's where we would have spent our life in eternity had not God intervened in our behalf. And thanks be to the mercy of God that before the world was ever ordained, before he ever uh, threw out the first star in the sky, uh, before the first wave beat across the shore, that he chose out you and he chose out me and gave us to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the Lord Jesus Christ made promise to his father. They coveted together that he would come into this world and whatever the price necessary, he would pay it to the uttermost uh, so that you and I would never stand before God and have any iniquity that could be found. Uh, that we could all stand before God with this assurance that our sins have been taken as far as the east is from the west. As the Bible says, it's like the Lord sowed them up in a bag and cast them into the depths of the sea. They were sought for, the Bible says, and were not found. Uh, God has made sure that the sins of his elect family that were paid for to the uttermost by the Lord Jesus Christ can never circle back to the child of God again. They'll never be on your account before the face of God evermore. Satan may try to convict you. Your soul may try to convict you. But always remember that in the mind of God, <laughs> legally so, and one day we'll see it in full reality, our sins have been totally and forever remitted by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> So no wonder he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He says, he gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Now some believe this psalm, and I believe it as well, pointed to the children of Israel coming back to the land of Babylon, and that is one fulfillment of this psalm. But when they were gathered back to Israel, they were only gathered from the north. But here the Bible says, the day is coming that God will gather his people from all the lands, whether it's from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. That means they're going to be gathered from all places. This is extended beyond the children of Israel. This is talking about the entire elect family of God through all ages, uh, in times past and times yet to come. And in present day, there's coming an hour when God will send his holy angels who shall gather his elect from all corners of the earth. And there they shall all be gathered together in one location. And the Lord Jesus Christ shall appear as the Son of Man, the King of glory, uh, sitting upon his throne. And there he shall separate uh, uh, two classes of people. He will separate his sheep from the goats. Uh, his sheep will be placed on his right hand, the goats on his left. And as he says in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, he's going to say to those on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then to the wicked he's going to cast them forth from him saying I never knew you so you and I have the blessed uh, hope that the day is coming that the God who is sovereign over all things is going to speak and all of a sudden the elect family of God in days past and days uh, present and days future shall all be gathered together notice what he says again he's going to gather them out of their lands uh, from the east from the west from the north and from the south there's a time that you and I spend our lives wandering around that's wondering here means that we were lost. It doesn't mean we were simply on a journey and we were going from point A to point B. But without the help of God, without the guidance of God, without the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, you and I were lost like the children of Israel were wandering in a circle for 40 years in a desert place. And that's what this world is. It's a desert place. It's a waste-hiding wilderness. It will not feed the soul of the child of God. It cannot satisfy uh, the heart of the child of God. It never can. It never has. And it never will. So thank God that God has gathered us who have wandered about in the wilderness in a solitary way. He says, here we were. We found no city to dwell in. We were hungry and thirsty and our soul fainted. That means we were just about to give up. And then notice what it says. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses and led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Notice this, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. I thank God. I've mentioned my experience many times, and I'll keep mentioning it. It's precious to me, and it only proves the Bible to be right. There were times in my life that I sat in darkness. There were moments of my earthly experience that I wandered about in confusion. I didn't know how it was that I would get from this world to the glory world. I knew that I was undone. I knew that my works were too short. I understood that there was nothing in me that was righteous before God. And I didn't understand how it was that he was going to get me from here to there. But I understood this much, that if there was going to be any deliverance, it wasn't coming at my hands. It would have to come at his. And I didn't know how it was that he was going to do that. And then one Saturday evening, sitting under the sound of the gospel in an old frame house where an old Baptist preacher who was very simple-minded just simply preached the doctrines of grace, and that night I understood how it was that God was going to get me from here uh, to the glory world. How it was that he was going to deliver me from my sin and had delivered me from my sin and see me righteous in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard my cry. Uh, for years I had cried out, not understanding how this would be. And he heard my cry when I cried out into distress. And thank God he brought me to a city of habitation. He brought me to the house of God. He brought me to the people of God. And I've not walked alone ever since. I was very much alone. I was very much in a solitary way. There were things that my mind and heart were struggling with that I never uttered the first word about to any other human being. But I uttered my complaint to God. I called out to him in my confusion and begged him for guidance. And thank God he heard my cry. He saw me in my distress. And there my wandering ceased. And I was brought to the city of habitation, the city of the living God. I was brought to Mount Zion. And I thank God that he did that for me. He hasn't done that for all of his children. And I can't explain it. I don't understand why it is there are some of his children that still sit in the darkness of this world. And why he showed me the light of the gospel. I'll never know that this side of heaven. And I may not even know it over there. I know this though. That as long as I live in this world. I want to live in such a way that shows him that I am grateful. And I am thankful for his mercy and his goodness. That he has brought me from wandering about in the wilderness. And brought me to a city of habitation. And fed me. <laughs> My longing soul he has filled and my hungry soul with his goodness has been satisfied. For 30 years now, it's been satisfied. It's good enough. It has been for all these years, and I trust it will be until I leave this world. Then he says in verse 10, there are those that sit in darkness. This is those who are guilty. Because they're guilty, they're held captive. He says, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the word of God and contempt. That means they held in contempt the counsel of the Most High. So here there are some folks that God gave his word. They had been in the wilderness, and God has shown them the right way. God led them the right way. God fed them. God led them. God satisfied their longing soul. But for whatever reason, they contend. That means they had no respect for the words and the counsel of the Most High. Now, 
notice what God does. God does not just say, well, that's okay. You can just reject my word, contempt, or uh, have contempt for my word, and I'll do nothing about it. Notice what God does. Again, it says here are people who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction of iron. That word sit there means to dwell. These people are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. You know, David said in Psalm 23, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not. You know, he was not going to be afraid. Uh, why? Because the Lord was with him. Uh, the Lord's uh, staff would guide him. His rod uh, would be there with him. Uh, he understood that God uh, was all around him in his experience. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, David understood that death was merely a shadow. That means that it can bring no pain to the child of God. To the child of God, death is nothing more than a deliverance from this world to the better world, uh, from this world to a heavenly country, uh, from this world to the uh, heavenly kingdom of God. That's what death is. It's simply a separation uh, from the darkness of this world and brings us into the light and to the face of God himself. But here are these folks, because they're in darkness, the shadow of death is bringing them into great despair. So it says they sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I watched a video last night of a poor lady down at Sanibel that showed video as that storm was uh, coming on. And she would periodically video some more and show. And finally, she went into an inner closet of her home and for six hours <laughs> cried out to God to deliver her from the darkness and the fear of death. <laughs> I can't imagine what that experience must have been like. At 11.30 on the night of that storm, I went to sleep. I woke up at 3.45 and it was as quiet as it could be. I slept through the worst part of that and thank God I was able to. Uh, and so I can't imagine what that poor lady went through and what many others uh, went through as well. There she was literally in darkness and in the shadow of death. That poor woman doesn't understand the gospel like you and I do. But she literally experienced what David talks about here in this psalm. And I just try to put myself in her spot that there for six raging hours, uh, uh, there her heart and soul was just uh, almost as tumultuous as the seas that were beating against her home. But you know what? God heard her cry. Uh, God delivered her in her distress. She may not understand exactly how it all happened, uh, but I know this, there's a woman down there that's praising the name of God right now, whether she knows all about him like we do or not. She's still praising his name. And thank God that God is able uh, to take those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death and being bound in affliction and iron. Notice what it says. He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. You know, God oftentimes either causes or allows, and, and I don't know when it's which. David could say by inspiration of the scriptures he was afflicted of God. I don't always know when my afflictions are from God or from Satan or from my own stupidity. Uh, but I've, all, I've been afflicted, and I know this. God does allow affliction, and God sends affliction. And I have to believe this. Even when he allows it, I hope, and I know that he is still sovereign. He is still with us. He is still protecting us, even when he is the one who has sent the affliction. And when he has allowed one, he is still there. It's not caught him by surprise, even though it has me. God has never been caught by surprise, and thank God he has it. But God does, from time to time, allow or send affliction to his people, 
if for no other reason to remind us of the mercy of God and the goodness of God. Maybe we become like Paul talked about as we saw last week in First uh, Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three, that in the last days perilous times shall come because men shall be lovers of their own selves, and he says they'll be unthankful and unholy. Maybe we've become too unthankful in our experience. And so God allows affliction to come our way. Maybe he allows us for a while to sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And allows uh, our hearts to be brought down with labor uh, so that we will cry to the Lord. That's the result of God bringing this to these people who condemned or contemned, excuse me, the word and counsel of the Most High. God sent this distress. This was God ordained. This was to get the attention of his people. And one of the prophets, and right now it's escaping me which one, I believe it's Hosea. I'm pretty certain it is. The Bible talks about three ways that God addresses the sins of his people. First of all, he comes as a moth fluttering around a light. I don't know about you, when a moth is in my house or a fly or a mosquito, I cannot hardly focus until that thing is dead. Uh, I want that thing gone. I've got a couple suits with holes in them because of moths, so I hate seeing a moth around because I know what they'll do. And a mosquito and a fly, they just drive me crazy. Well, the Bible says that's how God first addresses our sin. It, it's an irritant. In other words, God comes and pricks us in a way that it's an irritant to get our attention. And then secondly, if that doesn't work, he's like a roaring lion. God brings something very loud and boisterous into our lives to grab our attention. And then lastly, and this is the worst one, even though you might think the second one is bad, the last one is the worst. He goes quiet. God just withdraws. If he doesn't get your attention as the moth at the light or as the roaring lion, then God just goes silent. And that's the worst place you and I could be. There in the silence where God is not speaking to his child. God hasn't forsaken us because the Bible says he never will. But there may be a time in our experience that we've so disobeyed him and so ignored his warnings that finally he just goes quiet. In this case, people contemned the word and the counsel of the Most High, so God allowed them to go into hard labor and affliction. They're guilty captives here. But then notice he says in verse 13, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. They got themselves there. There was no way out that they could see. So what do they finally do? They do what we all should do. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. It reminds me of the city of Nineveh in the day of Jonah, that great and wicked city, that city of the Assyrians, the great enemy of Israel. Jonah is told of God, you're to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, that in 40 days God would destroy it unless they repented. As you know, Jonah didn't want to go. Those were his enemies. They had been the enemies of the people of God for generations. And so, number one, he's afraid for his life. He knows, I'm going to go over there and tell them that in 40 days God's going to destroy this place. They'll kill me for that. And so, no, he doesn't do that. He goes down to Joppa, buys a ticket, pays the fare, gets on the ship, and goes to the hinder part of the ship and goes to sleep. Maybe I'm about like Jonah because in the middle of the storm, I was sleeping. Well, in the middle of the storm, when those men are fearful for their life, remember they come down to Jonah and they say, Oh, sleeper. Uh, they say, You need to get up. We're in trouble. Uh, and he lets them know, This is why the storm has come. I've disobeyed God. You throw me into the, to the sea and the storm will be calm. At first they refuse and then they oblige. And the storm ceased. But the Bible says that that storm was prepared by God. There was something else God prepared. And that was a great fish that came and swallowed him. 
And there he was for three days and three nights. The Bible calls it the belly of hell. He was in literally in darkness and the shadow of death. He had disobeyed God. He had not listened to what God commanded him. And so here he is. Now after three days and three nights, it says he prayed to the Lord. He confessed the sin. And that fish sped him up on dry ground. He goes to Nineveh. Took him a day and a half to get to the center of that city. And when he gets there, he begins to cry against that city. Those people heard that cry. The king commanded repentance throughout the city. And that city repented in ashes and sackcloth. And God spared the city. This people that deserved God's destruction, these people that deserved God to just wipe them off the face of the earth, you know what they did? They cried to the Lord in their distress. A Gentile city. <laughs> this isn't even Jerusalem. Jerusalem cried to God, I guarantee you, when uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar surrounded that city, and God did not hear their cry. God allowed them to go into bondage. God allowed their city to be destroyed. But here is a Gentile city, an enemy of the people of God, and they cry to the Lord in their distress. God hears their cry, and God delivers them. And Jonah, uh, he gets mad about the whole ordeal, goes out beside the city and just tells God to take his life. I mean, here, the best sermon uh, could have ever been preached and the best reaction to a sermon, but rather, uh, and this man's mad about it. I mean, if I told God's people to repent and they all repented, I hope I would rejoice. But here's Jonah, very upset. But here, this, notice again, massive city. I don't know how many people were there. Millions of men, women, and children from old to young. They all did as the king commanded and they repented in ashes and sackcloth. And God heard their cry and delivered them out of their distresses. If you think he would do that to the enemy of the children of God at the city of Jerusalem, this Gentile city, don't you think that you who love the Lord in the day of your distress, if you call to him, he'll not hear? He certainly will. I have to trust that the reason that storm turned the way it did is there were people here and all across the United States of America that knew that there were bands of believers here in this area of the state of Florida that are trying to hold forth the doctrines of grace. They're trying to hold forth the truth of God's eternal love. And there have been people here and all over praying for us. i just going to believe that the whole reason that storm turned the way it did is because God heard the cries of his people and he delivered us out of our distress. Anyway, it says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works, to the children of man, for he had broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Just know that God is able, when you feel yourself to be bound in sin, you cry to the Lord in your distress, and God is able to break the bars asunder. He's able to take the bars, whether they're brass or iron, and totally destroy them and remove them out of the way. And the liberty that God can bring to the child of God is far superior to the liberty that we received when we broke off uh, from the kingdom of uh, England. Uh, I'm thankful for the liberty we have now, but it's nothing compared to the liberty that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the third category, verse 17, it says, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. The word afflicted there means sick. So again, he says, this happens because they're fools. So the second category, they've disobeyed the word of God. They've not got, done what God told them to do. And so they contemn the word and the counsel of the Most High. So he throws them into captivity and into bonds and into affliction. 
But now you have people who are foolish. People who just simply walk away. It's not necessarily that they're contemning the words of God like the group before, but they are being foolish in their activity. And notice what God allows. God, because of their iniquities, afflicts them. It says, verse 18, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. Their sickness is so great, he's saying, they can't even eat. He says, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Their sickness is such because of their foolish ways that they're right at death's door, in other words. But now notice what happens. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Once again, it says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So the destructions they were about to experience, they brought on themselves, but God delivers them from their destructions. How? By sending his word. You know, the gospel is very important. It's vital. Uh, I understand the, uh, the gospel cannot bring a dead alien sinner to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what the gospel was designed for. God never intended it that way. That's not what it does. The gospel does not uh, bring us to life in Christ. But what the gospel does do is bring life and immortality to light. It sheds light. It puts a spotlight on the reality that you and I have life. And it tells us how we got life. And that's true. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel didn't bring us life. But it gave us the light to understand how we got that life. And so the gospel is vital. It will not get you from hell to heaven. It will not get you out of sin to righteousness. But what it will do is show you how you got out of hell. And how you're going to heaven. That's what the gospel's for. And that's why the gospel's important. And notice what it says here that the word of God did. He sent his word and healed them. What healed them? The word of God healed. The word of God has healing power. And it has healed my soul many, many times when I was misdirected in my own mind and going the wrong way, being foolish in my activity. And notice what it says here. When the person gets to that spot that God sends them into affliction, and there they are at the gates of death, when they cry to the Lord, here's the way he delivers them. He sends his word and he heals them and delivers them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then the last category. He says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. You know, that storm was bad enough on dry ground. Could you imagine being out in the middle of it? Imagine just being out there on a, on a ship. I don't care what size of ship you're talking about. When you're talking about a Category 4 that's coming in on a Category 5 storm, the last place I would have wanted to have been is on a ship anywhere nearby. And so think about it. They, these are people that this are, their business is obviously in the seas. They're, they're fishermen or merchantmen, and at that day and time to deliver anything at great distances, the only way was obviously by water. We still do it today. He says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifted up the waves thereof. Now notice how it describes this storm. It says, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. It's almost describing like they go to heaven and almost down to hell. It's just, you know, it's just so rocky. It's up and down. He says, their soul is melted because of trouble. Here they are in this disastrous storm on the sea, and it's so bad that their soul is melted in them. 
It's like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when the Lord was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. There were at least four experienced fishermen that were experienced on the Sea of Galilee. They knew that sea in particular very well. And yet the Bible says in Luke that they were in jeopardy. From their perspective, they were in trouble. From God's perspective, they were never in trouble because the Lord told them in Mark chapter 4, let us pass to the other side. He didn't say let's get halfway out here in the middle and drown in the middle of this sea. He says let's pass to the other side. They forgot that though. And so from their vantage point, they were in jeopardy. From God's, they never were. But again, here they're experienced men. And finally, they go down to the Lord and wake him up and said, Master, carest not that we perish. We're about to die here and you're asleep. Don't you even care enough to wake up and at least uh, give us a little consolation in the middle of the storm? Speak some kind of word of comfort to our hearts uh, right before we uh, die in the depths of this sea? Don't you care? <laughs> I've been there myself when the storm of life was so great that I asked the Lord if he cared about me. And uh, God forbid that we should ever ask that question. The very fact that Jesus was in that ship with them, that alone was testimony that he cared. And the fact that the Bible tells you and me that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he is Emmanuel God with us, that alone ought to always convince us that he cares, that he will never leave us alone, and we should never ask the question, don't you care? He does. He obviously does. He gave his life as a ransom for us so that you and I would be delivered from the hand of the enemy. So we should never accuse the Lord of not caring. But notice their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. And notice this. They're at their wit's end. Have you been there? <laughs> I certainly have. There's times I don't know the direction I'm to take. There are moments I'm just at my wit's end. Recently, I had a significant decision to make that could greatly impact our life. Two courses I could go, and I didn't know what to do. I had two days to make a decision, and I didn't know which way to go. It was on a Wednesday the decision had to be made. Monday night, I go to bed, and my mind was just like this sea, tossing in every direction, not knowing what to do. So finally, what I do, I went to bed saying, Lord, I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need your help. I need to know what the answer is, so just show me. And as I woke up the next morning, when I thought about option A, my mind was completely at rest. When I thought about option B, it was like I was right back on that sea. That told me right then which way I was to go. Now, I walked by faith, I trust in the Lord, and I hope that I made the right decision. That's all I knew to do was to cry out to him, ask him for his guidance, and I trust the answer was what it was. Here are these men, though, they're at their wit's end. I've been there, I know what it's like, but notice what it is. Even though they're at their wit's end, they're not at their faith's end. And there's two different things. You may be at the end of the capacity of your mind, but you'll never reach the end of the capacity of your faith. Your faith is blood-bought, your faith has been given you by the Lord Jesus Christ when you were born again of the Holy Spirit. That is one of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 says that is given to us when we're born again of the Holy Ghost. And so that tells me that the same God who has an endless supply of mercy has an endless supply to strengthen and renew our faith. And so while we may be at our wit's end because of some experience, that does not mean that we should be at our faith's end, uh, that we should do just like these men did. Notice it says, Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. 
That's what I did in that experience. That's all I knew to do. I was at my wit's end. I couldn't figure it out. I, I did the whole pro and con list, and at the end of it, it came out equal. So that didn't help me a bit. But here's what did. When I got to my wit's end, and said, Lord, you're going to have to show me what it is that I've got to do. And he did. And thankfully, he brought me out of my distress. I haven't second-guessed that decision one time so far. <laughs> I might, but so far I haven't second-guessed that decision. He says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Even though they were at their wit's end, that's right where they needed to be. Because at their wit's end, they finally are at a point where they see, I can't fix this. I can't deliver myself out of this. I can't solve this. I can't conjure a way out of this, but I know the one that can. And so I'm going to go to him. And so they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. I told you all a few weeks ago about my experience of deep sea fishing this year. <laughs> And I remember when I got back to my desired haven, uh, that was over at uh, Treasure Island, when I could see land, I was very hopeful. When he tied that boat to the dock, I was ever so relieved. Uh, that's the worst experience I've ever had on the sea. But it was enough that it made me think of this experience in this verse. But there's been many times, and I know you've been there as well, that your soul is just tossed in every direction. And you're just like this ship that's going up and down, to and fro, staggering around in your mind like a drunken man, and finally at your wit's end. But once again, let me say that while you may be at your wit's end, at the end of what you're able to think through, able to physically conquer, a child of God that will exercise their faith will never end their supply of faith. So again, he says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He says, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Now he's going to talk, and I'm going to close reading out the last of this psalm. He says, he turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground. That's the negative. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. But then notice verse 35. Here's what God is also able to do. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are menaced and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He pour contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. But notice verse 41. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh his family him families like a flock. He says, The righteous shall see it. And rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. 
Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. He's just closed letting us know that when we begin to trust in uncertain riches, God will dry them up. But when we begin to trust in him, he can take the dry places of this earth and make them very fertile so that our flocks do not diminish, that our families are like a flock, that we have all the things that we stand in need of. And he says, and the righteous shall see it and they shall rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. In other words, we will not contemn the counsel of the Most High anymore. He says, whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand. You know, it's one thing to experience the loving kindness, but it's another thing to understand it. He says, they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. I don't know of a greater place to be than to experience, but also to understand God's loving kindness. I thank God for the loving kindness of my wife. And thank God for the loving kindness of this church. But you know, that only goes so far. But the loving kindness of God will carry us from here to glory. It'll take us from the most horrible experiences of our earthly life to the best experience we'll ever have, and that'll be when we're with the Lord Jesus Christ. God is able to do that. It's true that we may wander about at times in darkness. We may feel to be captives because of the guilt and weight of our sin. We may be sick in soul, maybe even in body, because we were fools in our activity before God. Or it may be that from time to time a storm arises. And you notice when that storm came, it never mentioned that those seamen did anything wrong. Sometimes things come into our lives, and we've done nothing wrong. In the case of Job, he hadn't done wrong. So there are some times that things come in your experience, and you didn't do anything to cause that. God didn't bring that into your life because you were a fool or you contemned his counsel. Sometimes things just happen, and it's not explainable. But thankfully, this is explainable, that when God's people, they cry to him, he hears them, he sees them in their distress, and God delivers them from their destructions. He sends their wor his word, and it heals us. He brings us to a city of habitation. He delivers us out of the chains of iron and of brass. He delivers us from our sickness, and then in the storm, he brings us to our desired haven. That's the God that we serve. No wonder he starts the psalm the way that he does. No wonder it is that you and I are to praise the Lord for his goodness and also for his mercy. No wonder David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, and forget not all his benefits. There are so many benefits that God has granted to you and me that we ought to try to recall to memory every single day and thank him for his graciousness, for his mercy, and for his love that he continues to shower on such an unlovable, unworthy people. But thank God that his love is never based upon our merit, but simply based on his mercy and his faithfulness and his grace. Oh, that men would praise him. Certainly, he deserves it. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. May God bless you, God.